This episode of the podcast is brought to you by HRH Combat Arms. They can turn your vision into reality. They specialize in gunsmithing and Cerakoting. Your Cerakote specialist is Air Force veteran and retired police sergeant Paul Ware, a.k.a. the Sarge. He can Cerakote your firearms, auto parts, tools, even your sports equipment. This veteran-owned business is located at 5025 Saunders Suite, 103, Fort Worth, Texas, 76119. You can call them at 682-304-0363, and you can find them online at www www.hrhcombatarms.com That's www.hrhcombatarms.com All right, welcome back to Cops One Donut. I am your host, Eric Levine. Uh, my special guest with me today, I hate to admit it, is a firefighter. Um, you know, you got to have hose draggers. They, I make fun of them enough on here, so I got to give my opportunity to punch back. Uh, it's only fair. But my firefighter today is Chris Moore. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Eric? Wonderful. I'm glad you joined us. Um, I cannot remember... Now that I'm thinking about it, somebody, I was looking for an emergency guest because I had two, I usually get one podcast like interview lined up and I have an emergency backup just in case that falls through. And, um, they both fell through. So (laughs) then I got on and I was like, Oh crap, can anybody jump on? And I got suggested, um, you got suggested, and then another guy named uh, Jake Bigelow got suggested. So he won the race. He's like, I'll do it. And then you were like, I'll do it. Um, so I got him on first, which his was the episode that went out today. So I got him in just in time, got enough time to get it edited and whatnot. His was a really good episode. He had been involved in two officer-involved shootings. So very, it's rare to get in a shooting at all anyway, and he's been involved in two, so... Got a lot. We talked a lot about PTSD, um, cynicism with with police work. Um, I don't know if that translates for firefighters. So it'd be good to kind of pick your brain at some of the stuff that we as cops get. Um, I know firefighters, PTSD is obviously an issue for any first responder because you're just seeing traumatic yeah. stuff all the time. But um, curious to pick your brain on the differences in the law enforcement aspect versus firefighter. But before we do that, sir, um, I want people to get to know Chris. I want them to get to love Chris. Why, where, where did you grow up? How did you get into firefighting? I live in Virginia beach, Virginia, born and raised here. Um, I'm the son of a police officer. My dad actually passed away in 2005. Oh, sorry to hear that. He was a uh, police officer in the neighboring city of Norfolk, Virginia. And, um, it was instilled in me at a very early age, the love for public service. And I uh, always wanted to give back to the community. I enjoyed watching my dad do that and growing up with him and riding in the patrol car with him. And he'd actually go and hang out with the firefighters also. And uh, we'd go to the fire station and everything. And I always knew that I wanted to do something like that. Um, I just didn't want to get shot at and everything. I'd rather go into a burning building. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. I ain't trying to go to no burning building. <laughs> nope. Yeah. We're the opposite. So I... Uh, I ended up going that route instead and um, very, very fortunate. We're all on the same team. I know we all joke with each other and stuff like that. But, it's in good fun as far as I've ever seen. It's not like New York and Boston. They they, they have a serious <laughs> competition and, and fights, but everywhere else I've ever been, it's always been in just good fun. Yeah. It's always. Same, same circus, yeah. different clowns. Yep. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah. 
Okay, so you're out there. You, your dad, um, how, how long was your dad a cop? Uh, he was a cop, I believe, for 25 years. He, okay. As soon as he got back from Vietnam, he got on the police department and served up until, I think, like 1990. Okay. We had a, a Vietnam vet that was an officer where I work. He, on his, I think it was literally his last year here, like he was going to retire, um, a fugitive or suspect fled from the scene. I don't remember what he did. Um, he, the the officer the, that I'm talking about, the old, you know, Vietnam vet, he goes and checks on a business that's a friend of his business that has like all these cars, like a big, huge garage. And he's just checking the cars out. And as he looks back to talk to his buddy, he's like, you know, has anybody been in here or anything like, he's like, no, I don't think so. And he opens the door to this car and the guy was laying there with a gun pointed at him, shot him right in the eye. Oh, wow. He pulls this gun out. Vietnam vets don't, don't play and killed the guy. Um, lost his eye. He wears a pirate patch. But stayed in the fight. I mean, absolute. I mean, just a beast of a man. So anytime I hear a Vietnam vet, I'm just like, you know, as a, I'm a veteran myself, but I'm on the man level. I'm I'm down here. Those guys. Uh, thank, you. thank you for your service, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. I didn't do nothing. I promise. I didn't deploy. Right. So I tell everybody, I'm like, I appreciate it, but. Somebody's got to take care of uh, yeah home turf also. Yeah, that's kind of boy doesn't mean you're any less. I got stuck watching nukes. Now I get yeah. I I appreciate that, and I I understand that side. It's out of my control, but yeah, yeah, I signed up during the time of war, and I didn't go. It's just how it was for me, and then yeah. so many other people went. Uh, but yeah, man, um, let's get back to you though, sir. Uh, so your dad served 25 years as a police officer, and we were just talking off air. My grandfather was a firefighter. He was a captain and chief type thing. And because of his job, I was like, no, I got to do the opposite stuff because I don't want nothing to do with the heat, uh, the flames and stuff. And you, kind of a similar story. You're like, I don't want nothing to do with yeah. bullets, so I'm going the other way. <laughs> That's funny. It works out that way. Yeah. So um, you decide to serve firefighting. You've done 29 years. So what year did you get in? I started in 1993, okay. um, started out initially as a volunteer with the city of Virginia Beach, Virginia, and uh, volunteered there as a firefighter until 2000. And that's when the neighboring city of Chesapeake, Virginia, uh, came calling and offered me a job as a career firefighter. So I, I took that in 2000. And that's where I'm at right now. I rose up through the ranks as a uh, from a firefighter paramedic to a lieutenant and currently serve as a captain. Okay. How do the ranks go for y'all? It, it goes uh, firefighter, lieutenant, captain, uh, battalion chief. Then we have division chiefs and okay. deputy chief and fire chief. Okay. So um, briefly, because I like to, the, the whole, one of the big things about this show is educating anybody that may want to follow in your footsteps type thing. So okay. you start out as a firefighter. I'm sure there's different jobs, different um, uh, responsibilities, even as firefighter levels go. I mean, so kind of walk me through your your experience. I mean, you, you start out, you go through a fire academy, just like you guys have a police academy and everything. Uh, once you graduate from that, you get assigned to a firehouse, and you're you're the probie then. 
So, uh, so explain that because you are literally the first. I had an arson investigator, which is the best of both worlds, I guess. But you're the you're a purist, so I want somebody to. I want you to be able to like walk us through like that probe. Like I, I loved um, rescue. No, what was it called? The the Chris Leary show. I think oh, Dennis Leary. Dennis, Dennis Leary. Yes. Um, rescue me. Rescue me. Yes, I loved that show, and I yeah. loved the probe stuff and all that. So I. I don't understand that was New York, but kind of walk people through like what to expect as a rookie. Yeah, that, that was, that show was pretty realistic. And with a, a lot of the stuff, they were spot on with it. But um, as a probie coming into the firehouse, it, it, a lot has changed over the, the past 20 some years. I, uh, I'm sure you've seen it in the, the police department, oh, and everything yeah. like that. Can't get away with a lot of stuff anymore. Yeah. Hazing and uh, yeah, stuff like that. But the guys are actually pretty good. They, they have good hearts. And they try and take you under their their wing and uh, teach you the tricks of the trade because you're the next generation. Uh, once they're gone, you're going to be it and hopefully do the same thing. But, I mean, it's a lot of cleaning toilets, yeah. um, sweeping and mopping floors, washing and waxing uh, fire apparatus. And uh, it just you do house chores and stuff there. But in between all that, you're, you're honing your skills that you learned in the fire academy. And uh, you're, you're just trying. You don't want to be the one that's sitting on your ass. You want to be up there, be a go getter, and everything like that, and yeah, prove yourself to the to the crew. Yeah, that's one of the 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 aspects of firefighter that drew me to it. Like when I when when it was a consideration for me, I'm just like I love the earning yourself into the family, the the brotherhood, and you know. When you guys worked, was it 48 on, 12 I Like, how did it work for y'all? We do 24-hour shifts. Okay. And our, the way our cycle is, it's called a 21-day cycle. It starts on a Tuesday, and it goes Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday. Then you're off for three days, and you come back, and you work Friday and Sunday. You're off for two days, and you work Wednesday. Then you're off for five days, and that brings you back to Tuesday. Okay. Oh, man, that five days would be freaking wonderful yeah, five days is nice oh yeah that's nice um yeah most of my guys work four tens um and obviously you play your your holidays and and vacation days just right you know you're constantly getting a four-day weekend and stuff like that yeah. and in our career field like you cannot emphasize enough how much that that rest period really matters especially our midnight guys um, oh, yeah. And, you know, if you're constantly working night shifts and stuff like that. Um, so, okay. So you guys, as a rookie, you go through the, you go through the, the whole earning your keep phase. Yeah. And um, I, I'm sure it's the same for y'all. Like us, when we're watching our rookies, it's like, um, okay, what type of work ethic do we have here? What type of personality do we got here? What buttons can we push? Um, a lot of people look at that as hazing, but in the police world anyway, like everybody's trying to push your buttons. So if I can push your buttons and I'm supposed to be your friend and your family, you can't handle it. You're definitely not going to be able to handle it out there. That's kind of our mindset for that stuff. But, um, yeah, exactly. Same with us. Yeah. Especially. So people, I don't think people understand just how much medical stuff firefighters really deal with. I would say at least where I'm at, that's the bulk of their job. You're more of a medical professional than anything. Nationwide, it's probably about a 75 to 80 percent of our job is medical. Yes. So Uh, what's the population like out there where you're at? 
Uh, Chesapeake is about uh, 225 to 250,000. Okay. I think we're roughly about 400 square miles. Oh. And our department is uh, 475 members. It's pretty big. Uh, 15 firehouses. Yeah, that's pretty big. That's a that's a lot. Um, so with that, uh, fire, it, it, once you get past your rookie phase, like are you going to fires as a rookie or are they do they let you suit up but you got to sit back and watch and, and learn? How does that work? No, no, you're getting your ass up in there. So oh. everybody's hoping. Like I said, fires are only like less than 20% of the job. But uh, when you get that fire, you want to you want to get in there. You want to get that nozzle, and you want to go. The, yeah. the senior guys are going to try and take that nozzle from you and, and trick you and stuff like that. But yeah, you never want to give up the the nozzle. You want to be the one going in there and putting the fire out. Um, we as soon as they come out of the academy, like I said, we still train on a daily basis at the firehouse. But uh, you're running on every single call, whatever piece you're assigned to, mm-hmm. and uh, be it medical calls, car accidents. Uh, structure fires, uh, you name it, you're, you're running on it and you're, you're getting more experience uh, on the job experience. Almost like you guys have field training officers. We have uh, mentors and everything like that as well. Okay. Like FTOs, like field training officers and whatnot. Okay. So when you go out there, what are the jobs? What are the jobs that everybody has? Well, my job, I'm, I'm sitting in the, uh, the front passenger seat, and uh, listening to the radio, getting all the information. We have our uh, our iPads right there where dispatch is sending us more information to that. So I'm reviewing that. You have iPads? Oh, yeah. Dude, that's legit. <laughs> you guys are like 2021 already. Look at that. Yeah. Damn, I'm still using a Windows 10 <laughs> laptop that's as thick as the Bible. Yeah, Panasonic Tough Book. Or yes, something. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we have those. Also, I'm uh, looking through the map book. I'm guiding my driver um, where to go, and I'm finding the, the closest fire hydrant if we're going on a fire call. Um, we have a guy in the jump seat, and if it's a fire call, he's dressed out in all his gear, and he has his air pack on and his mask on if it sounds like there's something to it. And he's ready to get off that truck if we pull up and it's an actual structure fire, get off that truck and, and pull the hose and start getting that ready while I'm getting off and doing my size up and everything. Okay, so go, so you assess the fire itself and try to get a game plan while he's trying to mitigate, I guess whatever whatever he can at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we we actually do a um, once we get on scene, do a size up, but then we do another size up. We do a three sixty, um, going around the structure and everything, and just seeing if there's anything on the backside that we couldn't see when we pulled up on it. Okay. So how many people per are typically in a truck? I guess. At my firehouse, we have three on my engine, but we also have a ladder there that has three. We have an ambulance that has two. And then we have a uh, field medical officer in a truck by himself and a battalion chief in a truck by himself. Okay. So all, uh, most of our trucks are either three or four persons. And what's the battalion chief? What's his role? He's in charge of our, our battalion, which is our district of five firehouses. And uh, he goes to every structure fire and, uh, if I get there first, I'm in command, but once he gets there, he'll take over command and give me operations or something similar, safety. Okay. Um, but, kind of a checks and balances thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, yeah, I've never, like, whenever I watch y'all, I'm just like, 
bunch of dudes in big ass suits. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I, you can't see their faces. Uh, usually their names reflective on the back. You know, you kind of see when you start seeing the same guys all the time, um, especially when I worked in a downtown district, I would see the same FD guys because it's constantly homeless medical calls for them. Yeah. Um, so you get used to seeing a lot of guys uh, do like the medical side, but I never get to see them in action on a fire unless it's a car fire, seeing some car fire stuff. But even then it's always two dudes, two dudes handle the whole car fire uh, typically, um, which I will say, that is one of the hottest things I've ever been. Car fires get insanely hot. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I can't believe I tried to, um, there was a, a guy stuck in a vehicle. It was way too late. He was gone. Like it was, there's nothing I could have done, but I, I didn't know. I just seen somebody inside and was trying to get, I couldn't even get close to it. Like I kept trying to to do the hero thing, and I, I couldn't. As, as high as my adrenaline got, I couldn't get close to that. It just was my body would not let me get close to the fire without a suit on, so I can only imagine. I can't imagine what it's like in the suit. Do you feel anything? Oh, yeah, you, you feel it. You, yeah? You uh, you sweat your ass off, and uh, you, you feel the heat permeating through your, uh, your suit and everything. Oh. <sighs> And, um, it, it's uh, car fires can be bad, but it's even worse when you're inside a, a house where it's yeah. not ventilated yet and all that heat's just being held inside there. Yeah. Um, the, um, have you had to face any of the electric car fires yet? Knock on wood. No, I heard that's a problem. So, yeah. That's, that's supposed to be a big problem that, uh, departments across the country, police and fire and rescue are going to be dealing with very shortly. Yeah, I, I heard they just they they refuse to go out. They reignite when they're sitting at the yards and stuff like that. Um, our yard, I think, has been isolating any electric car just in case that happens, so it doesn't cause a secondary fire. But um, okay, so twenty nine years we went through the rookie phase. Um, explained your job. You're currently at what rank was it? I'm a captain now. You're a captain now. So your role as a captain is what? I oversee the um, all of the crews at the station there, and I uh, station commander also. We have three shifts, so everything at the station that goes on there between all three shifts really falls on me. Okay. So I do like the budget for the station and upkeep and everything like that. Okay. Um, with uh, do you ever work with the arson investigators at all? Oh, yeah, we have, have uh, our fire prevention crew and arson investigators come through. We actually have a uh, arson dog also that one of the guys has. Oh, what is that? What does the arson dog do? He's uh, trained to pick up on accelerants. So when oh, they, uh, okay, to see if something was, I see what you're saying, in case it was uh, like a man-made fire and not some sort of accident. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um yeah, the uh, our arson investigators out here, um, it's like one of those things we never see them as, as cops. They're like hardly, we'll see them at special events all the time. There's always an arson investigator there. I think it's like a courtesy thing. They get all the special events, but <laughs> other than that, like you never see them. So when I ran across one, um, um, he just happened to be a guy that listens to the podcast and he's from the same city. He's married to one of our, I think dispatchers or, or in the, in my department. And I was like, 
you're you're awesome dude you got to be on the show like let's get let's get it get it going like that'll be fun um because you are you know as an arson investigator you get to brag about both sides of the house <laughs> you're a fire cop yeah exactly what is it like okay as a firefighter like how do because there is that fun rivalry do you guys give your arson investigator shit um well kind of like what you said we don't see them either man. <laughs> <laughs> they have their little places where they hang out at and, and everything. So maybe they're smarter uh, than we think. Yeah. They, they might have the the right job and everything. Maybe they scored higher on the test than all of us. Right. Well, at least they can, uh, if they get tasked with something on the fireside that they don't want to do, they're like, I would, but I got this cop thing over here. And then if they get tasked <laughs> with some of the cops, I, I would, but I got this fire stuff over here and who's going to check them. Like they got both yeah. sides of the house. That's funny. But, but now um, they're they're pretty good dudes and everything, and um, we work work pretty well with them. After a, a fire, if it's undetermined or we we don't know the origin of it, then we call them in and they come and do an investigation and uh, help us figure out the uh, the root and cause of the fire. Okay, so in twenty nine years, you could probably look at a fire pretty quickly and be like, "Yeah, this was set by somebody," or yeah, you you usually uh, get a pretty good idea of stuff like that, and then. Yeah. Uh, just like in police work, you, when stuff doesn't make sense, it just doesn't add up. Yeah. You just trust your gut with a lot of the stuff and, and everything. Okay. So I have to ask the question while it's on top of my head. What's a backdraft? Because I love the movie. <laughs> you, your guys have never told you what a backdraft is? <laughs> they probably have, but I just know don't open the door. <laughs> yeah, it's when the, the fire has been burning inside the structure. And it's actually burned up all of the oxygen, so it's burned itself out. It's just like a smoldering phase right now because there's no oxygen for it. And when you open up the door or bust out a window, all that oxygen is sucked right in, and the fire just oh. ignites as an explosion. Okay. Okay. I and I kind of done, I make my own little mini backdrafts when I light a fire in my fireplace because it'll it'll <laughs> yeah. blow out, like, or it looks like it's done, and then you – you get a you know piece of cardboard and start waving a fl- and all of a sudden it's just like poof, and you're like there yeah. there it is so okay yeah because i i love the movie backdraft i've watched that yeah. several times um i can hear your dog cracking me up what's his name her name <laughs> lewis he's actually my service dog oh yes so he goes with me okay. goes with me to the firehouse and everything so that's awesome yeah we've had a couple shows where we've had Dogs popping up, and they're like get them out! I'm like, no, no, they're fine. I love the love dogs, so it's it's fun interruptions. I, but I could hear them. I was, is that golden retriever? Uh, uh, yellow lab. Yellow lab. Sorry, that's what I was trying right. to, trying to say. Um, Lewis, where'd you come up with that name? That was actually the uh, service dog organization that I got them from. Uh, when they have donors, the donor gets to pick the name. Okay, and it was uh, named after the donor. His oh, middle very name cool. was Lewis. Um, one of the uh, organizations that, um, I promote quite a bit. Um, I'm not a sponsor of theirs or anything, so I don't want any sort of legal issues, but, uh, tunnel for tower tunnel to towers. Yeah. I'm not sure you being a firefighter, I'm sure you've heard of tunnel towers, but, um, what's the organization that you had with, uh, your dog? It's a uh, service dogs of Virginia, okay. out of Charlottesville, Virginia. And, uh, they do service animals or service dogs for, um, uh, medical conditions, diabetes and um, stuff like that, similar. And they started doing it for veterans for with PTSD. Oh, okay. Nice. And then they wanted to get in and branch out and start doing it for first responders also. And 
I was diagnosed several years ago with PTSD. Mm-hmm. And I've been battling and struggling with that. And my healthcare team, we actually found out about Service Dogs of Virginia and how they wanted to pair a first responder up with a service animal. And uh, we went through all the paperwork, submitted for it, and it's a long uh, process. Yeah, they actually actually once they uh, approve your paperwork, they have you come up to their facility and do like a almost like an oral boards. It's an interview with their board of directors and their doctor to make sure that you're legit. Yeah, and um, once you clear that, they come to your house, make sure your house is good and sufficient for a dog. And uh, I finally got selected. And then I had to go up to Charlottesville, Virginia, where I trained for two weeks with, with him. Oh, okay. And then he, he came home with me. Very nice. Oh, so you do tra- all the, trained uh, with him beforehand. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So we had to do all the ADA paperwork while I was up there training. Cause like I say, he's a, he's a legitimate, legitimate service dog. And, um, through ADA, he goes with you everywhere. Yeah. And that, that includes the firehouse. Oh, so, I bet the guys yeah. love it too. Having the dog around. Yeah, they, they do. Yeah. Um, the city was kind of weird about it at first because they've never had issues with somebody bringing a dog into a firehouse or into pretty much city buildings. Uh, so it was all new grounds for them. I, I see. But they ended up approving my request, and uh, he's been with me now for a year and a half. Okay. We have a um, an officer. She was shot, uh, and it caused um, – she's – paralyzed basically i think from the chest down um and she has she's she has a service dog i worked directly with her and um she had she's on her second service dog the the other one had lived his life and was a great dog but she's got a new one recently a german short hair pointer which i just had to put down my gsp um within the last year uh he he made it to about 16 years old. Great dog. But I, you know, when you have a dog, like now that you've got a yellow lab, if you've never had one, you're always going to love yellow labs. I love GSPs because uh, I had one. And then I got to meet hers the other day uh, at an award ceremony. And I I want to say that the, the service um, foundation that gave her her dog, just kind of like yours, I want to say they're out in that area. I don't know if it's Virginia North Carolina, somewhere in that area. Um, I, I don't want to misquote it, but um, great dog. The training that, that goes with those dogs is amazing. And um, they absolutely, if anybody out there listening has never seen a true, true service, I mean a true service dog, one that is um, trained to recognize triggers and, and, and different mood changes within the owner and all that stuff. It is, it's crazy. But um, did they put you through that same type of training? Yeah, they actually, uh, what what they did with me is once I got selected and they had to train him, um, they wanted to know some of my uh, my tell, telltale signs. Um, when I get triggered, some things that I do or uh, the way my body responds. So I actually had to send them a video. And um, they started training the dog and showing him having him rat. One of the things I do is I, I do my hands a lot when I start getting uh, real anxious or getting triggered or bothered by something. Yeah. And um, he'll actually, he picks up on that. Now he can tell the uh, inflection in my voice. Mm-hmm. If um, I start getting real anxious or nervous and he comes up to me and he starts uh, taking his nose and pounding it into my leg, just to remind me like, Hey, you're, you're here in the, the here and now 
you're good, you're in a safe place. Um, but they did all the training for that. When I went to do training, it was called a transfer camp where I'm there for two weeks and he's already got all the skills, but he just needs to learn how to um, adapt those skills over with me. Okay. So we spend the, the two weeks bonding and training together and I got to learn all the, the ADA stuff, how to take him into buildings and everything like that and be uh, compliant where he's a, um, a good boy and doesn't get into trouble. That's awesome. Um, he can go on airplanes with you too, right? Yes. That's great. I love it. I, I'm, I'm so pro dog anyway, but especially service dogs because I'm still in the air force. Like I, in, I see the service dogs on the base all the time. I see the service dogs in airports. And a lot of times I think it's really overlooked that yes, it makes sense for a military guy. Like everybody kind of, it's like socially accepted that people get that. They see that it's a military service. You know, they have their cool vests on them all the time. Their patches that usually says, you know, do not pet service dog. And then I have like a unit patch or whatever. So I think the general public gets that, but what they fail to understand and maybe not understand, but underestimate the amount of trauma that a first responder, a firefighter, medic, police officer, um, am I missing anybody? Uh, nurses, anybody in ER? All or dispatchers. Dispatchers, yes. I'm sorry, dispatchers. Yeah, I mean, just the stuff that they had in and dispatchers get a lot of unfinished stuff. That's the worst yeah. part is like they hear the worst of it and then they don't get the follow up. So yep. I can only imagine for dispatchers. So that you're dealing with the worst of the worst constantly. And uh it's at a different level and I'm a military guy so I can speak to this. Yes, you see a lot of bad stuff overseas. It's a smaller window than what m- when you compare it to a first responder for most of the part, because you have 29 years of, you know, how many days a year that you work that no military guy has been deployed for 29 years, you know, at a minimum a half a year, let's say we're firefighters. It's every single day and it's accidents and it's um, medical calls and it's fire calls. And it's just a constant thing. So, um, if you don't mind getting into that, I know you're a speaker, you talk about this stuff. So I want to get your perspective on bringing to light the PTSD aspect of first responders. Cause part of the, the major points of this show is education process. I want people, I want them to fall in love with you if they can kind of give a humanized side. Everybody loves firefighters. So you ain't got to fight for that too hard. And then, and kind of understand and give them a glimpse of what it is you deal with and what you're advocating now. So the, the PTS is, we're really promoting trying to call it PTS instead of PTSD, because it's not necessarily a disorder. It's a, it's more of an injury. Um, it's no different than if uh, somebody sprained their ankle or twisted their back or something like that. The only thing is you can see those injuries. Uh, you can't see the injury to to a brain um, without having proper equipment and everything and diagnosis. However, the military, like you were talking about, and, and God bless them, I'm I'm not a veteran or anything like that, but we're a huge military town right here where I'm from. Have a lot of friends in the military uh, deployed now and everything. But um, like you said, they they only see stuff mostly for the most part on deployment when they're in Iraq 
Afghanistan, uh, Somalia or Africa, right? Um, anywhere like that, they're seeing some of the worst of the worst during their tour, which is usually about six months. We see it on a daily basis. The average person is going to see one to five traumas in a lifetime. So they're, they're either going to see or they're going to experience themselves only one to five in a lifetime. Hell, you know, we can see that in one shift. You guys in a 10-hour shift and me in a 24-hour shift. Yeah. Um, it, it's nothing to be exposed to several in a shift. Right. And you figure, factor that in to uh, most of us have to do uh, 25 years <laughs> towards retirement. Yep. So 25, 30, we even have guys doing 40-year uh, career. That's a lot of shit that you're seeing. Yeah. And if you don't have some some way to um, to deal with it, or a healthy way to deal with it and uh, cope with everything, then you're going to explode. And the uh, analogy that I use is our heads are, are like a bucket and everything that we're exposed to is getting poured into that bucket. And like I said, if there's not a healthy way to relieve that bucket, eventually it's going to overflow and it's not going to be, be pretty. Um, my bucket got overflowed in, um, January of 2017. And uh, that's one of the things, like I said, I'm an open book when I go and do these talks with uh, other departments across the country. And um, there's nothing that I won't talk about. I share my full story. And it was January 9th of 2017. At this point, I've been doing everything since 1993. Um, I'm not sure how you are, but most first responders we don't share a whole lot about what we see and what we do on the job with family and friends. I don't know where it started or where it began, but a lot of us and myself included for the longest time, we think that we have an S on our chest and that we're trying to be Superman and hold our feelings and emotions in. And we don't want to show it to our significant others or our family or our friends. And I was always like that. And then this call happened to me, uh, January 9th, 2017. It was a, uh, a pediatric cardiac arrest. It was a one-year-old child. And with a lot of this stuff, I, I've actually, since then, I've turned into like uh, like the movie Rain Man, where um, names and dates and, and actually faces um, have stuck with me. And I'll never forget that, that little boy's name, obviously with uh, HIPAA violations and stuff like that. I, I can't say anything, but I'll never forget that name and, and that little boy. We worked this cardiac arrest for as long as we could. Um, we ended up transporting him to the hospital where he was worked even longer. And, uh, eventually he was pronounced deceased. Um, at that point, my department, we had a uh, SISM critical incident stress management and, uh, where you take everybody around that's involved in a stressful call and you just ask them, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And, um, of course, when you're around with all your peers and stuff like that, um, nobody's going to be the one to say that, no, I'm, I'm hurting right now. I feel bad for that child. I have a, a little child also, and I can relate to it. Nobody did that. Everybody said, I'm fine. I'm good. And uh, that was in the morning. So we all went about our day and finished our 24 hour shifts and got off the next morning. And um, it was that next morning I'm coming home. My wife is going to work and you would think being gone for 24 hours at a time, I would have a lot of stuff to talk to her about. Um, She would always ask me every morning, still does, how was my shift? And it was always like, oh, it was was the norm or it was okay. And uh, it's just left at that. 
I would never say, Hey, I lost a one-year-old child today and I'm hurting real bad. Yeah. Um, I thought I was protecting them and thought I was protecting myself also when deep down inside, like I said, that was the one that, that boiled over inside my head. Um, days after that, it was like Pandora's box just opened up inside my head and, um, calls that happened, um, 12, 15 years before that, that I never thought twice about just started popping up vividly in my mind and, um, having a lot of issues. Um, my coping mechanism for that, because I, I didn't have coping mechanisms built in because I never knew any of this was going to happen to me, Yeah. but um, I, I turned to alcohol and, uh, that was my, my drug of choice. And I thought I was a, um, was good at wearing my mask and hiding it. Um, eventually when, like I said, I would come home and my wife would go to work, I'd get my son off to school and I'd pop open a, a bottle of bourbon or crack open a beer. And I would start drinking until it was time to get my son from school. And I wasn't uh, doing it to get drunk. I was, at least that's what I told myself. I was doing it to, to ease the pain that I was feeling from these past calls. I literally thought that I was going crazy. Um, because, uh, like we said, I wasn't a veteran. I, I knew a little bit about PTSD cause you, you hear about it on the, the news and everything. Um, like I said, especially in this area with all the military we have here, but I was like, I wasn't a veteran. I wasn't involved in a line of duty death, fortunately. And uh, I wasn't involved in a near miss. I was like, none of this can be happening to me. I didn't know at the, the time about cumulative PTSD yeah. And everything just piles up. So um, I dealt with this for uh, three months. And then in April of uh, that year, um, my fire chief, uh, we were actually at an event together. And uh, he he's the type of guy I like to always use the term that uh, have your fingers on the pulse of your department, the pulse of your members. And uh, he truly does. Like I said, we're about 475 to 500 member department. And uh, he knows everybody. If he's met your family before, he um, he'll remember your family and ask about them next time he sees you. But he picked up on something wasn't right with me. Uh, the next day, I got off duty and uh, went to do my normal stuff, opening up bourbon and uh, drinking. And the phone rings, and it's the fire chief secretary. And uh, she said that he wanted to take me to lunch and have a little uh, lunch meeting. And uh, I was a lieutenant at the time. I was going through the process to promote to captain, but I told her no, that I, I was busy, had something going on, even though I didn't. I just had my normal pity party going on and uh, drinking myself to a better place, I thought. So I got off the phone with her. I realized I just committed career suicide. You, you don't tell the fire chief no. He asked you to do something, you do it. And um, my wife, she knew something was going on with me that she noticed a change, but she didn't know the full extent of everything that was going on. She didn't know anything about that call. Um, I was aware enough to call her and tell her kind of a little bit what was going on and that the fire chief wanted to um, meet with me and I turned him down. So she strongly encouraged me to call him back and uh, schedule that lunch, which I did. And it was probably one of the better things that I've done. Um, we didn't speak chief to lieutenant. It was just like you and I right now. We were just speaking man to man. And um, he gave me a lot of his wisdom. He 
been in the department um, uh, over 30 years. So he's seen and dealt with a lot of stuff. And um, he found out I wasn't utilizing my family. And he, he advised me. He's like, I know your family. I know they're a good resource. Start talking to them. Open up. If, if a call bothers you or hurts you or whatever, you're human. Let them know that um, that something hurts you and, and just talk it out. Uh, for anybody, um, he asked me if I was a, a man of faith, which I'm one of those Christians. I go to church twice a year on Easter and then at Christmas time. But um, I, I, I didn't really explore my faith too much, but he gave me that option also. And then just a, a little bit more wisdom. And I thought that fixed me. I came home that night or that day. My wife came home and we had a heart to heart. I started opening up to her and telling her everything. And um, I, I just knew in my mind that I was fixed, that I was better. But um, that wasn't the case. Um, I really I found out a, a year later we had I was exposed to, to more traumatic calls. Like I said, we can see that whole one to five calls in one shift. Um, so another year goes by 2018 have a couple more tragedy uh, tragedies I was exposed to. And um, I reverted right back to my old self, started drinking a lot more. Uh, my marriage was on the rocks. My wife and my son um, described it as walking on eggshells with, um, they didn't know what husband or what dad was coming home, what mood I was going to be in or how I was going to be reacting. Um, my wife remembered me telling her that a mentor of mine in the fire service had a number to a therapist that works with first responders and she, uh, encouraged me to get it. So I ended up getting that number, but getting it and using it two totally different things. I, I sat on it for about two months until I finally made the phone call. And, uh, that was one of the hardest things I, I've ever done. And I mean, you know, our, our careers as police officers and firefighters, we do a lot of tough stuff, but um, just making that phone call to ask for help was, um, was something else. When I dialed that number and the voice on the other end answered, it seemed like eternity before I could get words out of my mouth. In reality, it was probably only about 20 seconds, but um, I finally got two words out of my mouth, which were uh, help me. And uh, I'm just, I still wonder to this day, I never asked my therapist, what in the hell were you thinking when you, <laughs> you have silence on the phone for 20 seconds and you just hear a male on the other side say, help me. But um, we carried on a conversation and let him know who I was, um, what I do for a living, what I'm going through and experiencing. And he told me he's pretty sure that he could help me and wanted to get me in his office. So uh, we came up with a, a time to meet. And when it came time to meet, um, that was the, the next hardest thing that I ever had to do was show up. And uh, I was, I, I drank a couple beers before I left. Not proud of that, drinking and driving or anything. But I um, downed a couple beers, went to the appointment. And the whole time I'm thinking that I'm going into this office. There's going to be a roaring fireplace going. Um, I'm going to be laying down on a sofa and he's going to be sitting in this big, wing chair with a pipe and I'm going to be telling them all these traumas and things that I've been exposed to. And, uh, it was nothing like that. Like I said, it, it was like, um, like you and I, we just, it was two guys carrying on a conversation and, um, it was very beneficial. He, um, 
like the fire chief gave me a lot of great advice, but he also gave me a lot of tools that I can utilize to help myself and to recover and get better and to uh, better deal with when I'm exposed to these traumas in the future. And um, that ended up working very good. I, I started seeing him weekly and uh, getting the help that I needed. I still had some issues with uh, night terrors, waking up to uh, dreams of past calls and everything. But um, things were on the up and up and going great. And then my luck changes another year later. Um, the therapist, he had to go out of, uh, put his practice out of service. He had something happen in the practice. So I'm back to square one. I was like, man, I'm really getting a lot of help with therapy, but then therapy's all gone. And, uh, with this area being big military town with our veterans coming back from overseas, you would think there would be a plethora of therapists here that deal with PTSD and maybe first responders with PTSD but that just wasn't the case. It's like everything you hear um, in the past on the news about uh, like the VA hospital with our veterans and our veterans not getting the help and stuff they need when they come back. That's, that's the God's honest truth with that. I, I found a lot of that out firsthand when I was trying to find me a new therapist. And um, when I did get fortunate enough to find one that worked with PTSD, either they weren't taking insurance or they weren't taking new patients. And, um, finally, when I was at my wits end, I ended up finding one, uh, she would take my insurance. She said she wasn't taking new patients, but she was going to get me in. And, uh, she actually got me in as a client and started treating me. And she actually does some other treatments. Um, it's a therapy called EMDR. I'm not sure if you're familiar with I'm, that. Or I not. never heard of that one. No. What is it? Yeah, I, I movement desensitization reprocessing and in stupid fireman sense, all it does is uh, I'm trying to dumb it down now. Thank you. Uh, your brain is like a filing cabinet and those traumatic memories are right here. It reprocesses those memories and puts them to the, the back lobe of your brain. So they're not always on the, the front of your mind. Really? Yeah. And How actually, do they it, even begin to do that? Uh, it, it, I don't know, but it, it worked. It doesn't work for everybody. But it worked very well for me and, and helped me out tremendously. That's insane. I never yeah. heard of that. What is it called one more time? EMDR. EMDR. Eye movement desensitization processing. Okay. Or reprocessing. So, but it was a, um, a, a very good, um, good technique that helped me out tremendously. And um, we ended up taking it a step further, uh, like I was telling you earlier, and got my service animal. And he helps me out quite a bit. I'd actually throughout all of this, um, my anxiety and everything spiked quite a bit. I uh, became like a hermit. I wouldn't want to go out in public a whole lot. Yeah. I disassociated myself from a lot of family and friends. Um, didn't want to go to meet new people at different places. Uh, one of the things that I, I think is the worst thing you can ask a any first responder is... Um, What's the worst thing that you've ever seen? Yeah. And um, if it's the worst thing I've ever seen, why in the hell would I want to relive it and talk about it with you? Right. Is was my thought process at the time. Yeah. But and, talking um, about it and in, 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 yeah. in, in discussing it, um, you had mentioned earlier that one of the things that you would do, and, and, and a lot of first responders do this, is 
you you see the worst of something and you go home and the wife asks you, you know, how was today? And you're like, oh, it was good. And you you, you want to save them. The way that I, I would look at it is I want to save them from seeing the bad stuff that I have to see. Yeah. However, I, 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 no one taught me this. And I, I've discussed this before on the show. I got lucky. I got real lucky because I had so many first responders, military, in my family I noticed there was a trend across the board with all of them and including my own dad, you know, bad shit would happen and they never talk about that stuff. And you would hear in the family, like, like they would be like, Oh, you know, he's seen some shit because he doesn't ever talk about it. Da, 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 da. And that's a common theme across the board. And, but the other common theme I see across the board is divorce, yeah. suicide, you know, just drinking, alcoholism, all this stuff. And I'm like, I got to figure out a way if I'm going to stay in this line, if if I'm going to go this career, I got to figure out a different way to do it. So I kind of just impulsively, I just did the opposite of everything that goes with my instinct. So with my, I've me and my wife, and this is also rare. um, We've known each other since we were five. We've been together since we were in seventh grade. Um, It's, we just, just, we just click. We've been together that long. So for me, I don't, as soon if I see something bad, I would tell her. I'm like, look, I know you. Yeah. You might not want to hear this. I was like, but I feel like I got to tell you, and I would tell her. Now, you and I, our generations are we're we're just slightly. I was born in '83, so I were we're a little bit. You're what I consider old school man. Like you, like you are man's man. Like that's the and, and I get the the whole path because it was it's very common, and uh, with. Even with my generation, it's not much different. Um, so I just, I got lucky. I just, for whatever reason, I saw the writing on the wall and I was like, I don't, I don't want to lose. It was basically my wife. It's like, I never want to lose her because of my dream of being a police officer and the whole thing that comes with that. So I just, I just decided to do the opposite of what all these other cops do. I tell her about everything. I didn't go out at night and do choir practice. You know, for those listening, choir practice, you drink immediately after shift and do that. I didn't do that stuff. Um, I did the opposite. And the reason I did that was because I didn't want to fall down that same path. And it really has worked for me. Um, And I think that's why I personally have had great luck and success, but I'm not immune from PTSD. I, I know I have it. Um, you talked about a trigger, your trigger, obviously being the, the, the infant, um, or year yearling, however old it was. Um, for me, I just, and I've discussed this recently on the show. I didn't even realize I had an issue until maybe five or six months ago. My wife and I were watching a show on Netflix that is a, uh, I, I can't remember the name of it. It's like the maid or something to that effect. Um, this this girl basically is a domestic violence survivor, where she finally leaves the husband or, or boyfriend, whatever he is, baby daddy. Um, but she's in this cycle of going back to him and trying to work and take care of the kid, and the kid's being used as a uh, volleyball and she it's a very volatile abusive relationship type thing whoever the director or writer was for this and i'm sorry for people listening if i sound like a broken record but whoever the writer or director was has been through this shit 
And I have yeah. seen this with a f- just v- very few women, maybe three uh, that I can name off the top of my head. I won't say any names, but um, to the point where I start crying, I'm out of nowhere. It wasn't a scene to cry on. And I'm just like, I look at my wife and I'm like, what the fuck is going on with me? Like, yeah. I can't like right now, just talking about it. I can feel it in my body. Like I've got like a hot rush right now. I'm trying not to cry. Just talking about it. And it it's one of those things that you, like you said, it's it, the brain can only take so much. And I, I've seen so much stuff. I didn't even really like domestics to me. They're not even the serious. They are serious calls. I don't want anybody to underestimate what I'm saying, but a domestic is a domestic. Like it's a, it's a run of the mill call for me. Like the stuff that gets me amped up is, you know, person with a weapon or, um, you know, uh, I'll just stick with that person with a weapon. Like that stuff that gets you like on high alert. A domestic does not put me on high alert because you deal with them so often and more often than not, you, you're able to handle it. But long story short, that triggered me in a way that I I had not anticipated and it's bothered me ever since because whoever did that show has lived this stuff and knows what they're talking about and they got the little details right and it triggered me. Um, So in that, with what you're saying, um, I forgot the point I was trying to get to because now my (laughs) brain's going. Um, It's, it really is amazing how however long you went, how many years would you say you went before you finally realized like, Oh shit, there's something going on. Uh, 24 years, 24 years. So I've been yeah. in the career field. E 17, 17 years. Um, I'll, I'll say that to be safe, 17 years. And it took me 17 years. Like I just realized it this year, it was just a few months ago. There's something going on. I just, um, I haven't addressed it yet because I just realized it was happening. Um, maybe I compartmentalized, and, and was able to pawn it off. Um, and anybody that watches the YouTube version of this, I'm not being a prick to drink in front of him while he's talking about how he used to, I felt bad. I was like, Oh shit. Now we're talking to, there we go. My man. I was like, Oh shit. I'm over here drinking. And he's talking about hiding behind a bottle. No, no disrespect intended, sir. Um, but you, you went, sought, got help. You're, you're being helped. Um, I do want to point out though, to you, most of the people that listen to the show and we're talking about an audience of let's say eight to 12,000 people to be fair. I mean, that's how many followers I have over all my platforms. So most are first responders. So I want you to know personally, just what you're saying makes a difference. You will make a difference for one person at least. Yeah. I understand that. Um, one of the things, like I said, when I, I travel across the country and I, I speak at conferences and symposiums, one of the things that I do is everybody that comes in and sits in on my breakout or at the conference, they get a copy of my business card and it has my personal cell phone number. And I usually hand right on the back. I will listen. And um, when I go up and I start my talk and introduce myself, I let everybody know they have my business card. And um, I was like, I, I might not be able to to help you right now or right afterwards. Um, a lot of times people are uh, afraid or they're still um, might even be triggered from hearing my talk and everything like that. And they don't want to come up to me right away. But usually by the time I get back to the hotel later that evening and sit down and start checking my email or uh, start getting text messages on my phone, 
people emailed me and, and everything like that. My story I'm finding out and what really motivates me really resonates with a lot of people. And um, I, I found out firsthand it's, it's probably in the, at least in the hundreds, the, uh, the people um, that I, I've connected with firsthand by sharing my story and then coming back and, and telling me what a difference it made to them. And I usually, I, I keep their phone numbers or their emails and I've kept in touch with all um, hundred and some of them. I'll, I'll do buddy checks every couple of weeks. So I, I know it's making a difference. And uh, even if it's just one person at a time, we, we got to, like you were pointing out about yourself, we have to change the culture. Yes. And um, the, the fire department, and I know uh, the police department is, is similar. Um, anytime we have a function, there's always alcohol involved. Um, not yeah. that alcohol is always a bad thing, but um, we, we just tend to revert uh, or go back to alcohol. Um, we're actually, uh, my wife and I are trying to work on something right now where we go to the recruits at the fire Academy and we talk to them and, and not just them, but we have a, a family night or a family day where yeah. the family's there and we talk to the family also. So my wife can give her <laughs> firsthand experience of what she saw and dealt with through me. So they could look out for their loved ones and everything that are starting their career. Yeah. And um, it, it's just something, like I said, it's, it's got to change and we have to find these leaders um, or be these leaders that don't just talk the talk. Uh, Cause anybody can talk the talk when, when the going is good, but when people are at their darkest times, that's when you really got to walk the walk and, and get through this and you find out who's really there for you yes. and who can help out and, and who really has your, your best interest in mind. Amen. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought up the spouse part. Um, very fortunate. Uh, the police department I work for, um, they, they have a family night, uh, prior to the Academy starting. Okay. And it's kind of a come to Jesus. Some spouses have gone through there and they're like, I, I feel like it was kind of rude. And I'm like, that's, that's the wake up call you need. You need to understand what you're getting into. It's not just what he's getting or she's getting into it. It's a family affair and you need to understand like there's going to be, it's not a nine to five. It's not. And it's the same with firefighters. It's not a nine to five job. There may be, it may be the end of your tour. It may be the end of your 24 hours and you got to call it 23 hours and you're out there. Well, guess what, sweetheart, or I don't know what you call a man, sweetheart, but <laughs> sweetheart, man, uh, they're going to be out there and they're not going to come home until the call is done. And, and that's just the way it is. And then they got paperwork afterwards. So that's just the way that's how this life is. And that is one aspect that rookies may not understand to talk to their spouse about and spouses may not understand without hearing it from a, a neutral third party that's involved in that stuff, you know, cause you know how it is. You could tell your significant other, like, you know, if you eat that bread, that cat, those carbs are going to be blah, 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 And they're going to be like, Oh, what the hell do you know? And then they're going to hear from their BFF, you know, those carbs, if you eat those, it does Oh, I'm going to stop eating those. I told you the same thing. Like, why? Yeah. It's, it's just kind of how it is. And uh, I'm guilty of it. So, I don't want to sound like I'm on some high horse, but absolutely. If academies out there across the board, I don't care if it's yeah, firefighters or police, you guys need to have 
exactly what you're talking about. I'm glad you guys are doing it. I hope that continues. I hope you guys weren't the first. I hope that's something that has always been a tradition. But from what I'm learning, and I've been through three police academies, this the last the, the place I work for now, they're the first to ever do that. And yeah, we're, we're working. We haven't implemented it yet. Um, our next academy, when it starts up later this year, uh, we're going to hopefully have it implemented into there. But um, it, like I said, I think it's something that's very important, needs to happen. And uh, like your analogy about um, running over on calls and working late, uh, same thing here on the, the East Coast when a hurricane's coming. Oh, yeah. And people are evacuating and stuff like that. That's when we're going into work. Yep. Um, I can't just. Or Whether you're off I, or not. Just, yeah. The, the kid gets hurt at home or something. Um, can't just leave your job and come home and, and be there for that. They, we make every exception that we can to uh, yeah. be family oriented and go home when somebody's sick or gets hurt, but it's not always the case. Yep. So, um, I'm actually a couple of things that I, I do also is, um, not just for my Academy or my department, but trying to get out to other departments. And I mean, I'll do this same talk with, uh, other, uh, jurisdictions and, academies and everything be it police or or fire like i said we're all on the same team and yeah uh, we, we see the same stuff and have the same problems and issues yeah i think and, and i don't want this to come across um i don't want you to take offense to this because i think it's a positive okay <laughs> when you have to start out with that i know i with all due respect sir um no <laughs> i truly because of your rank and your experience level and that's it, it, an asshole way of saying your age and all that shit too. I get that. And that's not what I mean, but it, it has more, um, buy-in. So for, for it, for me to come across and say that stuff, I, I think people will take it to heart, but maybe not as much so as they will from you because you're yeah. at a higher respected level. You know I, what I mean? I agree. And that's what people ask me all the time about um, getting that buy-in. Like I had the buy-in from the fire chief initially in 2017 when he picked up something yes. wrong. And um, people ask me if it's important to have that buy-in from up top. And it, it definitely is. Uh, however, I think just as much as importance as you get the buy-in from up top, you need it down below also. That's why we need to talk to those recruits and you yes. kind of meet right there in the middle. Yeah. But um, I, I think what your point is, is if you get an old salty, crusty, um, see, seasoned yeah. firefighter or a police officer, yeah, buddy. If, um, somebody sees me kind of break down and here's my story or whatever. They're like, Oh shit, yep. man, that's affecting the captain. It's affecting me too. Yep. And they'll be more likely to open up and express their feelings and everything as well. And I'm not talking about everybody sitting around singing Kumbaya and all sorts of stuff like that. But there, there comes a time um, I know you guys have where you, you back your cars next to each other and roll the windows down and you guys carry on conversations. Yep. We have our kitchen table at the firehouse. That's okay. Where we solve all the, that's the where church, problems. that's where church is. Yeah. That's where church is right yep. there at the kitchen table. Yeah. And we solve a lot of problems there. And um, I, I think it's time we solve our own problems now instead of the world's problems where we start talking about this, this mental health. And like I said, not just talking about it, but you got to walk the walk. Yeah. Um, there, there's so many uh, people out there who um, promote this and are supposed to be advocates of it and say they're there for people. But 
um, when push comes to shove, it's just not always the case. <laughs> Especially if the healing process takes longer than they anticipated. Yeah, exactly. The And I think the whole thing is um, it, it's still a real gray area here with this, with uh, mental health and, and everything. And I think people are, I know they're afraid to talk about it, but they're afraid to, they don't know how to approach somebody with it if it's going to be offensive when they talk to you or how, how you're going to react and take it. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's one of those issues that we're still like, I think we've come leaps and bounds, especially because of, you know, the 20 plus year war that we've had recently, you know, the, the, the troops have really brought it to light, which is amazing. I love it. And we've really come far as far as the treatment goes. But now I think it's just starting to make this wave across the nation. Like, do you guys really consider what our first responders are seeing over here? And when you start to quantify the amount of time they're on the job, you said we could see that in a shift. And the one of the things that stuck out to me that we haven't discussed yet is Yes, we see that five times in a shift, and you're expected to get over it right after that call is over with and yeah. handle the next call. And then you wonder why. Why was that cop such a dick on that call? Why was that firefighter chastising that homeless person? You know, because I've seen all of it. Because yeah. that firefighter just tried to resuscitate a mom. And was unsuccessful. And the very next call he has is some homeless guy trying to claim he's got a heart issue so he can go and get a free meal. Yeah. When the firefighter can tell from the medical information he just got that this guy's full of shit. Now, he can't, he can't say that. He has to play it safe. He knows he's got to take this guy and give him a free trip uh, to, the, to the hospital so he can go get his heart looked at by the hospital that's going to give him food because he's there for so long. And that, and you wonder why that guy was being a dick and you're like, no, that firefighter's being a dick. And that stuff is slowly coming to light. It's coming out there. One, because of body cameras. I don't know if you guys wear them, but I've seen a lot of firefighters recently wearing body cameras. Now, obviously if they go to a fire, those get destroyed real quick. They don't really last in a fire, (laughs) but, um, uh, I do. I don't know. Maybe they have fireproof cameras now. I haven't seen any, but maybe they do. Do you guys have fireproof cameras? No, nah, we don't have any cameras that we're using right now. None? Our marshals have, uh, cause they have law enforcement, uh, privileges or whatever. So they wear cameras when they're interacting with the okay. public. Yeah. But yeah, general um, firefighters in, in my city or jurisdiction, we don't have anything like that. Okay. Uh, I, I think I even, maybe I'm wrong. I even think some of our medical yeah, ambulance people are wearing wearing the camera. I, shoot, I think any first responder, I, I would wear a camera. It ain't worth yeah, you it. Need to. It ain't worth it no more. Like, it, it, there's too much false be. I mean, the the body camera is like your saving grace because your yeah. word doesn't count anymore. People are so reliant on cameras, um, which is bullshit to me. I I I am the biggest advocate of body cameras. I love them. I was using them before they were even a thing. Um, uh, but I will say that the spoken word of what happened has to still count. 
You cannot rely on cameras because we're going to get to a point. And when you're the victim, this is when it's really going to matter or when you're whatever it is. Um, it's if there isn't body, if there's not video of it now, all of a sudden, sorry, too bad. So sad. It's your word versus theirs. It, that like that's horseshit. Um, I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, I don't think that's how it should be. Um, I think the spoken words should still count for something. And um, especially when there's multiple witnesses or multiple officers or multiple firefighters or whatever it is, you know, I've had instances where I was the only officer on scene An off duty firefighter came and backed me up and we didn't have any video at the time, but I got a firefighter and which, you know, you can play the well, firefighters don't like cops and cops don't like firefighters. So that, that works out. But yeah, um, it's really cool that you're going, um, you're, you're going on these, these trips to go make speeches and stuff. Now, how did you get started in that? Um, I actually, uh, I did with my therapy, I started doing a lot of journaling. Some random guy just walked I, by. What's that? Some random guy just walked by your house. <laughs> That's my son. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I started doing a lot of journaling with my therapy. That really helped putting words and thoughts down on paper. Okay. And eventually it led to an article that I wrote for, um, I'm sure police officers, you guys probably have some kind of a, a magazine. Police One. That's that's yeah, what, we, yeah. We have a fire engineering magazine, and I okay. actually wrote an article for them and got published. Really? And, uh, my wife actually wrote an article, um, and her article got published by them also about the, the spouse's side. And um, people started hearing about it and um, reading it and contacted me. And um, I started getting a, a lot of relief, not from just journaling, but when I started opening up and talking to people about my journey, it really helped out and um, helps me decompress a lot. So I'd gotten invited to um, um, been to Maryland, Florida. My, my first one was out in Dallas, Texas uh, a couple years ago. And um, that's for later. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that message. So, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> but yeah, so um, uh, Dallas, Texas was my first opportunity. I was uh, nervous speaking in front of a large crowd. Um, it worked out very well. It just felt so, uh, so freeing to be able to open up and express this stuff. And uh, it was even more so, like I said, when I was done and people started reaching out to me afterwards, I, at this point, I had never um, opened up to anybody in my department about my struggles, what I was going through, other than the fire chief, and that was all confidential. And then you went and talked to strangers about it, but in it, the same it, career it's field. Easy, it's easy to talk to strangers because I'm probably never going to see these people again, although mm. now I'm making lasting relationships when I go to these places. Yeah. Um, and then when my article got published, I've actually had guys within my department reach out to me um, via email or phone and... Um, tell me, man, we saw your article and your it was great. I'm going through this too. No so, shit. God, that had to hit hard. Yeah. It's just, it's an amazing, yeah. amazing feeling when you know that something you're doing, I mean, our, our careers in general, yeah. we're making a difference to the public. Yeah. But when you're actually helping a brother or sister firefighter or their family member out, it's just, hell yeah. It's just a great feeling. Yeah. When I, okay. So. You know how, yeah, and I know it's the same in fire fire department world. We're our biggest cynics. We're the biggest critics about everything. So, oh, yeah. when I wanted to start this podcast, like 
one of the biggest fears I had was of my just my peers. Like they're gonna be like, "Oh, Levine's just trying to be look at me, 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 me." Oh, you're another, you're the next TikTok dancing cop. BS, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, all that silly stuff. Oh, yeah. So I was nervous, and uh, I, I, you know, I knew what my purpose was for trying to do this. And I don't have like as much as some people give me credit for like, oh, man, you got a you got a radio voice and you 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 do so well talking on this stuff. The only reason I do or in my my impression of it that I do well is because I'm I'm just passionate about the idea behind it. I have a passion for it. Um, I want to I want to better relationships between us and the community. That is that's why I became a cop. I mean, so. This being a new avenue, in my opinion, that has never been done to bridge that gap is the education of talking to both sides of the house, first responders and 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 those that are either supporters of first responders in the civilian side or or anti either way. It doesn't matter. I want to get both sides and we talk things out and we just hear each other out. And, and this is a new outlet to do that. So um, when I got into it, I was so scared. Honestly, I mean, I was just scared, nervous that my peers were just going to give me so much shit. And I tell you what, I have never heard a negative smart ass. Reco- I mean, the cops are the biggest smart asses other than <laughs> ER nurses, nighttime ER nurses. Uh, so for any nighttime ER nurses, you know what I'm talking about. They got dark humor. But oh, yeah. we, I got nothing but, dude, this is awesome. Like, this is great. Can I be on? Like, like all positive feedback people that I work with that I see all the time supporting me just gave fueled the fire more than more than and I love my wife more than my wife supporting me more than anything I don't know why but just the fact that the people I work with were behind what I'm doing has has caused me to go 12 grand in debt to me to do this show yeah. So and that's what I'm doing too, going in debt. Yeah, buddy. Um, I, I was, all of this was coming out of the travel was coming out of my pocket. I wasn't getting compensated to do this. Yeah. Not podcast, but I'm actually talking about traveling to yeah. um, other States and everything. I'm flying to Dallas and yep. up to Maryland and down to Florida and everything like that. And it's all coming out of my pocket. And um, I just now have gotten to the point where if anybody wants me to come and talk to their department, I will do it for a, a small fee. I'm not trying to get rich or anything like yeah, that. I'm the same way. I just, just cover yeah, my bills. Just, I'll do it. I mean, yeah. I'll do it to break even cover my bills. Cause it's a valuable commodity. What we're providing. I, I and, agree. Um, you really can't put a price on it. No. And, and, and I'm, like not said, I'm not to. trying to get, not trying to get rich or anything like that. But I, like I said, I'd gladly yeah. bring me out to your, your jurisdiction and, I'd yeah. gladly talk to your your city, bring another city in to help out or whatever, and yep. let's make a party of it and get these guys straight. Yeah, I've been doing this almost a year. April 27th, I believe, will be my year mark, so we're almost there. You're my 50th episode, so shout out to being my 50th episode. Um, and I've been struggling to get sponsorship because I have monthly bills that, to put this show up, right? And it's not that expensive. It's like uh, around 250 and and I, anybody out there want to hear it? Yeah, it's about two hundred fifty bucks a month that I have to. That's all I need to cover. But I'm also twelve grand in debt from all the equipment and this, like this software I'm using to talk to you and make it look the way it is and being able to like that. 
that costs me money as well. Like the software I used to, I don't want to get in the bills part, but anyway, there's all these costs. So <laughs> I hate the woe is me shit. Like, yeah. Um, but I'm not, I'm not a business guy. Like that's not, that was never my intention was to be a business guy. So now I'm facing that side of the house where I became a business one for liability purposes. I didn't want to get sued. And if they sue, they can sue the company and then I'll just get rid of the LLC it's off yeah. of my back. So, but, um, I couldn't get sponsors. I, I, I don't know how to do that stuff. That's not me. I finally got my first sponsor like a week ago and this is my first shout out to them too. On the 50th episode, impact M dash P A K tactical.com they backed me up they're they're basically a tactical outfitter they're where here in texas they outfit firefighters police everybody with their with their stuff so um i've been using them for the last 11 years i never thought to ask them to be a sponsor so somebody gave me the idea i reached out to them they were like yeah let's do it i was like hell yeah so i got my first official sponsor um just a week ago so dude I highly recommend. Do you have a business for what you're doing is it for your speeches no, or anything? Like Get this one. is just Captain Chris Moore doing it on my own. And all right, well, Captain I, Chris uh, Moore I've worked worked with other um, organizations. There's um, first responder conferences. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Sean Thomas. She's a uh, deputy out in uh, Washington State, and uh, she actually puts conferences on across the country. And uh, I've hooked up with them and uh, travel around and do some uh, various speaking engagements with them. Okay. Uh, my last one was um, just a couple of weeks ago. I was in Chicago with the Illinois firefighter peer support symposium, which was a, uh, a very big event they put on every year. And that was actually probably, I guess, if you want to look at it, technically my first paid gig, because they actually flew me out there and put me up in the hotel and Hell took yeah. care of some of my meals and everything like that. So that's all I'm asking for or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly believe that's all any of the first responders are looking for. Um, especially when you, when you start going to the Northeast and Midwest area, the, the fraternal order of police, uh, the firefighters, all of those, they're very tight knit and they really do take care of each other out there. Um, and is Chicago, especially uh, me being from Michigan, I, I've gone to Chicago quite a bit. I've linked up with uh, Chicago police out there um, as a Michigan cop because I was a cop in Michigan and just like, hey, I'm visiting. Where do I go? And dude, they, immediately meet with me here. I'll get you there. I'll get you a ride here. I'll get me. If you guys drink too much, let us know. We'll, we'll come pick you up. We'll have a taxi cab. I mean, just all of it. So, um, very good uh, taking care of each other as far as that. And I think that 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 is, needs to be the mentality. I, now that you're mentioning your person from Washington, Sean, I would like to link up with her. I want, I want to see, let's talk about her mission. Let's get see what they're doing because these conferences sound like a great freaking idea. Um, and they seem like they're, they're having a positive effect. I tell everybody like when, when I used to be an instructor in the academy, if I can get across to just one of you, I've, I've won. I've done what I've set out to do. It's, it's really worth it to me. Um, and now that I'm back out in the field, I, I'm constantly running across, you know, three years of being an instructor, um, classes of 50 to 60 at a time, you know, I, I run across people I've trained quite a bit and they're seasoned officers now. 
And it's so cool because they come back, man, I still, you know, I still think, you know, because I always teach my guys, I was a control tactics guy or defensive tactics. Like I taught my people how to like defend themselves. And um, I told them, like, you should, when you're talking to somebody, I want you to keep the mindset of, I wish a motherfucker would. (laughs) Like that's, that's the mindset you need to have is, all right, I need to solve your problem, sir. What's going on? But the whole time in the back of your head, like you're killing them with kindness. You're, you're being professional. You're trying to do everything you should, but you should be thinking, I wish a motherfucker would because you never know. And if the moment you let that mentality slip, you're behind the curve. We're already behind the curve as, as first responders, firefighters, you're, the fire's already been set. You're already there. You got it. Now you got to figure out like, was an accelerant used? Was this, you know, there's all these factors that you guys have to deal with. Same for police. We're behind the curve. The bad guy already knows he set up an ambush for us. The, the bad guy already knows that we're on the way and that, you know, he's got these, this evidence that he needs to. So we have to be ready for that. We already know that a, a victim, as soon as we get the cuffs out to arrest baby daddy, is going to flip the script like, oh, shit, I, I just wanted you guys to scare him, not take him to jail. Like, you know, there's these things we have to deal with. So in the back of your head, as long as you're always thinking, I wish your motherfucker would. You're ready. You're ready to deal with it. So, um, that I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm not. No, that's, that's great. Cause I, that's, I, that's what I teach my guys also when the, the recruits or the probies come into the station and we start going talking about EMS calls and everything, mm-hmm. just always pay attention to your surroundings and your egress and stuff like that. And the exact same thing you just said, always think that somebody would, yeah. um, even if it's old grandma or whatever, right? I don't like my guys to to get down on both of their knees when they're talking to somebody. Just kind of crouch down where you can still, yeah. You got a reactionary gap, yeah. That personal, yeah. Yeah, because I hate to say it, but you guys aren't immune anymore. No, you guys have been being ambushed. You've been called into stuff, and there's been shots. We just and without naming my agency, a few weeks ago. The fire tower that they train in, they, they do the repelling, the whole building can light on fire, all sorts of crazy yeah. shit. Um, they had they were out there training a drive-by. They shot eight shots into the building. Nobody was hit, but yeah. So now we have a permanent police car when their training comes out, sits. That's bullshit. There's no reason yeah. for it. Why the hell would you attack a firefighter? Their only job is to help. Yeah. It makes zero sense to me. So if you're out there listening, if I, I would love for bad guys to listen to my show. Um, <laughs> I mean, the point is to bridge the gap between us and the community, but let's face it, bad guys probably aren't going to listen to me. Um, but Jesus, why the fuck would you? Att- if you're going to attack people, attack the cops. I'm okay with that. Like, that's kind of what we signed up for. Leave EMS, leave ambulance, leave firefighters, leave nurses, leave leave all of them alone. Their whole purpose is nothing but help. They are not going out and writing tickets or doing any of that stuff. So I'll get off my soapbox. So, <laughs> I, so I digress. We're the ones there to do good. Yes. We should be the ones getting the free Chick-fil-A and the yes. free donuts <laughs> and everything like that. But they give it to the cops and not the firefighters. I know, right? That's a horseshit. What the hell? That cop's not going to remember that you gave him free Chick-fil-A when he's writing you a ticket. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. They got it all mixed up, We man. do get free Chick-fil-A for anybody listening. Um, I didn't. <laughs> I went 30 years without Chick-fil-A, so I'm trying to catch up. So yeah. uh, we didn't have Chick-fil-A up in Michigan where I'm from. You guys got Chick-fil-A out there in Virginia? Oh yeah, they're every corner. Oh yeah, man! I tell you what, when so when when I was in the academy, like the first 
couple months, you can't, you have to eat all your meals there. You got to do all that stuff. And then you kind of earn freedom and you can start to venture out into the city during your lunchtime and go get food. And, um, my, my classmates found it funny that me, the Yankee had never been to a Whataburger, had never been to Chick-fil-A, never been to all these very Southern places. Um, so they, they made it a mission, like, okay, today, Levine, we're taking you over to this barbecue joint. All right, Levine, today we're taking you over. Um, to me, barbecue is always hot dogs and hamburgers. Like, that's yeah. that's barbecue. Uh, down here, it's a whole other business, brisket and ribs and all, all of that. So uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed Southern cuisine. It is amazing. Tex-Mex is amazing. I thought I hated Mexican food. I love it uh, now that I've been down here and had authentic Mexican. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my new thing right now is um, lingua. I don't know if you guys have that over there. It's basically. Oh. Yes. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. Lingua tacos. I, I I never. Don't get. I'm a foodie. I'll try anything. I don't care. If you're selling it and you're taking the risk of me suing you, like, <laughs> I'll eat it. <laughs> so, um I just had lingua for the first time maybe a couple months ago, and I fucking love it. It is yeah, so good. Yeah, if you give it to somebody and you don't tell them what it is, they'll think it's just some of the yeah. richest roast beef or whatever they've yeah, ever had or so tenderloin. Tender, and yeah, it does. It tastes just like beef, and it, oh, my God, it's so good. If you guys have never had lingua, try it. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. My other big one is birria, queso birria tacos. It's goat meat tacos, and the shell is... um fried in 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 the sauce and the uh cheese so it's like super like it's got like a crispiness to it oh it's so good god (laughs) i love it i love it i just i just did my military time down in san antonio and um there's a restaurant right outside the base and i'm alone like my family's all you know here you know five hours away so i don't see them um you know, they, my wife will bring the kids down on a weekend occasionally to visit. But other than that, I'm on my own. So I'm kind of living like the bachelor life. So it's like, what do I do? All right. I can make a sandwich in my room or and go eat something somewhere and explore. So that's what I'll do. I'll go explore. So I explore the restaurants and I found this Mexican restaurant that they don't understand. They don't speak English hardly at all. And I know just enough that's to awesome. get by because I'm used to it down here. And uh, I did. I said uh, I asked them what they recommended, and they were like quesadilla tacos. And I was like, all right, cool, let's do it. I eat it. I'm like that was delicious. You know, I'm asking them what the meat is, and they said goat. And I'm like, I, I didn't know I like goat, but I like it. It's amazing. It's super tender. A little stringy, but man, it's good. Highly recommend it. But I think we got off topic here. This happens a lot in my show. So we talk about food too. Yeah, I like, we like to eat. Oh man. Okay, so I will say our boys. When I was a downtown bike officer, um, our our boys were our FD guys. Um, so accommodating. You drop you drop some cash. Hey guys, I'll put ten in. Can I eat? They're down. I mean, they wouldn't they wouldn't ask you to put in. I'll put yeah. it that way. I would do it just because I know they spent their own money and they got food and we'd ride by. Hey, everything cool. How you guys doing? We go bullshit. Um, I, I grew up playing hockey. So I talked to the hockey guys and stuff like that. Uh, and, and just go up there or try to work out, you know, cause they guys, FD's got all the best freaking workout equipment. Um, so 
but yeah, you guys are the best damn cooks. The best. Like, <laughs> I don't get it. I, I hate cooking for one. Two, you're never going to find people that can create such great meals out of such minimal ingredients. Oh, yeah. As yeah we got some good firehouse cooks. Yeah. And we do the same thing, like you said, uh, with your guys. Um, anytime I see the police officers around or out on a call, I tell them to swing by the station. And even if it's just to come, we always have a pot of coffee on. Yeah. Come have a cup of coffee with us, warm up during the winter or whatever, or come cool down during the summer. And they're always welcome to break bread with us. And like I said, we're, I know I keep using the term, we're all on the same team, but it's just really good making those, uh, those connections. Cause you see each other out on calls, Yeah, but we actually have time to break bread and, um, just shoot the shit and everything like that. It just makes things so much better. Yeah. I had a, a, a private gig that I was working. It was a insurance company in my city. Um, we're allowed to work like part-times as security, um, for private. Doesn't matter who it is, as long as the department approves them, they have a clear criminal background basically. So it was an insurance call. Um, and a very, 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 very rich person's house had been, uh, the garage caught on fire from their electric vehicle. Um, so I know, and, uh, I get into that and, uh, and I'm working that and, uh, I was, I'm looking at stuff and I'm not an arson investigator by any means, but I have some connections with firefighters cause I had made that relationship and I'm like, Hey man, I'm out at this spot. Um, you know, anybody related is like, Oh yeah, that's my district. Yeah. I know all about that fire. Like, what do you, what do you got? I'm like, I was like, ah, I don't know much about fires and anything, but I was like, I just find it curious that there's a really a lot of damage around this, um, transformer. And, uh, you know, I know that the neighbors are blaming the car saying the car started the fire. Well, long story short, what happened was the transformer blew and fell down on the garage and caught everything on fire. And because this is an electric car, and when that thing caught on fire, that made things go completely nuts because it, yeah. it even when the fire was put out, the fire wasn't put out because the damn car kept going. So yeah. um, I, the arson investigator himself hadn't been out there yet. And I was on the, they had a lot of like really expensive art and stuff in the house. So, um, just having that connection with, you know, another firefighter and he reached out to the arson investigator said, Hey, one of the, F or one of the police guys are out there working security said he noticed this and, um, maybe take a look and, and you know how it is. They like, they're like, well, okay, we'll see what this, yeah. you know, <laughs> not, tell him how to do his job, this non firefighter guy, let's see what he says. <laughs> and then it turned out I was, I was right. That's what exactly what happened. The transformer popped. Um, and, and, and rained down on it, and then wind kind of messed up some other houses in the area. But, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. And, I, and me, I'm an investigator now. I'm a detective. So at the time, I was a, kind of a new detective, so I was really just playing with my skills. Like I was, you know, I'm looking around. And there's nothing else to do. It's in a rich yeah. neighborhood. You know, it's nighttime. I'm out there with a flashlight, just like I'm bored. So I'm looking around and I'm like, you know what? It's really weird that the, this transformer, like the fire had went to a fire pole or to a, a power pole. I'm like, and it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, why did the fire not hit this neighbor's house? It hit this transformer that connects them both. And then it all went over here. And then, um, 
got to digging a little deeper and sure shit that's that's basically what happened the transformer uh blue i don't know why but it did and uh spit all over that garage and (laughs) fucked it up i guess so (laughs) yeah but man it's uh it's interesting i'm into that stuff i like seeing when you see a fire you know it's like me anyway I, i never think it's because of natural causes whether they're like, well, there was lightning out that day. I'm like, I don't care. It doesn't look like yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, it's like we don't want to wish anything bad on the, the public or anything like that. But I mean, right. you, you get a good fire and you're like. Yeah, yeah right. God, what, like, what is your. Okay, so. I think we've we've hit real hard on the PTSD and, and, and you know, you out there giving your speeches and stuff and, and the, the career path and all that. Now, I want to kind of pick your brain just as a firefighter in general. You get a house fire call. Which is, to me, that's the that's the glory call of a firefighter. Oh yeah. So you know, it, like as a kid, you're like, I'm gonna rush in, I'm gonna save the kids in the t- the upper floor. We're gonna pass them down the ladder. They're gonna be safe. Everybody's gonna be safe. And like to me, like that's the like that's how I dreamed of being a firefighter when I was a kid. You see a fire, and you and I have seen fires for real, like house fires for real. I've been across the street behind my patrol car on the opposite opposite side of the street, and I still couldn't stand the heat. I had to still get away. I had to put myself behind something because the heat was so intense that it was I, I couldn't stand there. You as a firefighter, you're geared up. You're going into a house that, one, you don't know if there's anybody in, and two, you don't necessarily know the game plan of how this fire needs to be put out what's going through your mind um shit as a, a, a captain or officer in charge of the the first uh do apparatus i mean you're just wondering like i said you're reading the notes and everything like that you get there you do your size up uh even if you got somebody's giving you an all clear that there's nobody in there we still have to do a, a primary search and make sure we don't always take the citizens at their their word right so um get the hose line off and we, we got to go extinguish the fire and do um, search and rescue. But uh, I mean, your mind is just going uh, a million miles a minute. You got that, that pucker factor going. Sometimes if you start reading the comments that people are inside or um, there's an elderly person that's trapped in a hospital bed in the room above the garage or something like that, you just get that. Oh shit factor. But you're like, we're going to work boys. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, we get off that truck and everybody's training. It's just like with you guys. It's just that, that muscle memory. It just kicks in. Yeah. And, um, you do what needs to be done. And, um, it, it's, it's a rush. Yeah. I, 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 so the way that I, okay. So I'm trying to figure out a way to articulate this, but I have been, I had a house fire. I've been at several house fires as a cop and, as I'm rolling down the street, I can see the the flames, and instantly, and this is a, from a police officer's perspective. I'm like, "Holy fuck, holy shit!" Like in my head, I'm like, "Jesus!" You know, every ounce of me is like, "This is nuts!" Like my adrenaline is up here, and I already know I'm gonna have nothing to do with it. Like that's where my adrenaline levels at because I'm like, yeah. "Holy shit." You coming around the corner, and I know y'all are trained, but like you said, it's 20% of the job. 
So you trained so hard for 20%. When you're coming around the corner in the engine and you, you're you just getting a taste of what you're draw, you're rolling up to because, shit, let's be honest, sometimes you can see that fire miles away yeah. as you're rolling up. Like you got a lot of time to really start to process what the fuck you're getting into. Like where is your mind at? Is your... Okay, you've got a lot of experience, so I don't want to know where your mind's at now, because I know where your mind's at now. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. But a rookie, and man, where's it at? Um, my, I'll give you uh, several um, instances. My mind, I know you said you don't want to know where mine is right now, but the, the officer's mindset is that everybody goes home. Yeah, it's over so, your people. Yeah. Yes. I'm not just worried about the the citizens that are that are there and their property and their lives and everything like that. That's understandably part of the job. Right. But I'm worried about all of my guys that are on the the fire apparatus and everybody there that's on scene as well. So I'm I'm looking at the the big picture, everything that's going on, yeah. making sure that we have a fire hydrant that's there that's going to give us our water supply. Our truck only carries a little over 600 gallons of water, and if we're flowing at a minimum, a hundred gallons per minute. We're out of water in six minutes. Holy shit. Or you need a fire hydrant pretty quick. Okay. So how much is a, what's the reliability of a fire hydrant? What's the. Give you continuous. It should give you continuous water. Okay. How so, how much are you getting per, is it per minute or per second? Or I don't know what the measurement would be. It, it depends, but probably um, you're getting enough for residential structure fire. Oh, okay. Okay, so the flow is going to be good enough for... Yeah, yeah, you're going to have good flow off of a a good hydrant. Are you guys honestly hoping like some BMWs parked in front of Mercedes is parked in front of it? (laughs) So we can smash the window and run the hose through there? Oh, yeah. I love seeing those pictures. (laughs) Like, well, you're the asshole. (laughs) But other than than that going on with me, probably the the next um, busiest... Actually, the, the busiest person on that fire scene for the first 10 minutes is the driver operator, the guy driving that first two truck, that engine, because he's got to get to that hydrant. He's got to, con- he's got to pull the hose, connect to the hydrant, connect to the truck, get the hose going to the house and, and do all that. He's, he's running around busy as shit for, like I said, the first 10 minutes. Once he gets his water supply and everything's good, things kind of settle down for, for him or her. But um, that, that's that point of view from, from that person and then you have the the guy in the jump seat, and uh, that's that can usually be um, the rookie's not going to be driving just yet, so usually you have the rookie back there. Yeah, and I mean, they're if it's a rookie and it's a, his or her first fire, I mean that heart's going to be pumping, fuck yeah, uh, fast as shit. <laughs> and um, my heart's been that way on every fire I've ever been a part of. <laughs> yeah, Everyone. eyes this big. And, yes everything but you just got to and like i said this is where we try and do our training and everything because it's only 20 percent of the calls but um you just need to to have that person kind of just calm down a little bit you can't be screaming if you set just like police if you set the scene up to be chaotic it's only going to get worse from there yes absolutely. So you stage you stage the scene or frame the scene the way you want it when you first get there and you got to be cool calm and collect even though like i said if you're your heart's racing and, and all that. You could have people jumping out of windows and fire everywhere. And if I'm like, Oh, I got this going on. Blah, 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 yeah. It's just going to go yeah. downhill from there. Yeah. If your voice is escalated over the radio and this is a yeah. big one for, for civilians to know, like when you hear a dispatch 
whatever it is, you hear the officer's voice. If you hear a chill dude in a what you would think to be a very chaotic situation, like that needs to be applauded. That yeah. is a that is a great skill to have. Um, I am fortunate. The guys that I work with, every chaotic thing that I've been involved in, they have been cool, calm, collected over the radio. And it's it's such an underappreciated skill. Um, but for you fire guys, like, I'm the guy on the radio. I'm like, this shit's blowing up fast. There's fire going everywhere. Like, it gets, it, it truly does. It gets me amped up. And I cannot stay calm about a fire. But I will be in a pursuit going, you know, 2 million miles an hour. And I'm like, all right, he's taking a left on Maine. Uh, <laughs> all right. He's like, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> so I just, it's weird. It's weird how, you know, your, your mind turns something into business rather than yeah. something that's fight or flight. And like for you guys, like you were just saying, a, a pursuit or something, uh, you're probably the whole time you're cool, calm, and collect, but you're probably smiling ear to ear because you're doing something. Oh yeah, that yeah, oh yeah, have a good blast. And I, so, and even though our hearts are racing for a structure fire or something like that, we're still. Yeah. If you look at our mask and that big smile on our face, we're happy as can be. Right, psychos. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to when I when. I have civilians ask me, um, and, I, and anybody listen, when you keep hearing me say civilians, I don't mean that as a, any, any sort of slight or any sort of elevation of that I'm above that or you're below, whatever, whatever way. Civilian just means, you know, you got a regular nine to five. You don't have to worry about some of the stuff I have to worry. I don't have to worry about the stuff you have to worry about. Um, so in the civilian world, um, you'll oftentimes hear us talking about these chaotic situations and what I want you to understand is that it takes time to develop any sort of um, normalcy for that like a a rookie that, that zero to five year mark in police world anyway is when you're going to get in the most trouble yeah because you're learning how to deal with all the stuff you train to do just because you train to do something doesn't mean you're immune from human emotions. And yeah. I'm sure FD is the same way that zero to we'll say five years just to be safe, but zero to five years and 20% of your time is really dealing with fires and you signed up to deal with fires. Mistakes are going to be made because you have to learn and you got to learn from mistakes. I think that's the best learning. Yeah, I, I honestly do. I, I oftentimes when I'm training somebody, I tell them, I want you to fuck up. I don't want you to fuck up intentionally. I just want you to screw up. I don't want you to be afraid of screwing up because every time you screw up, we build and you yeah. learn from it. I know you're taking it seriously because you don't want to make that mistake again, but have fun making mistakes. So what I want civilians to get, and this is the point I was getting to is if you ever hear me say, Think of the think of this work as the game as a, as a game. It's business. It's 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 a game. It's not. I'm not trying to diminish somebody else's suffering. That's not what I mean. It's when we get wrapped up and we take things too serious is when we really start to make mistakes. And it not only does that affect the people we're trying to help, but it affects us for the long term. Yeah, with the PTSD and stuff like that. So. I'm not trying, it's, it's a different way to compartmentalize in a positive way. 
So when I say it's a game, like, you know, I'm going to deal with the domestic. All right. These two couples are they're having some sort of issues. I'm not going there going, oh, my God, domestics are the most dangerous calls in the world. I got to go there. I got to be all tactical and I got to have my gun here and I got to be like, all right, ma'am, you need to say it. Like, no, it's a game. Like, all right, let's figure out what the fight's about. It's usually funny. So uh, it's usually like somebody took something way too serious. that doesn't need to be taken serious. And you just make it a game. Yeah. And and that way you're not taking it too serious. You're able to keep a straight mind. Um, and maybe I'm phrasing it the wrong way. I don't know. I, no, you know, you've been, but like you said, you're grinning ear to ear when you got this big old fire. It ain't because you're laughing at somebody's misery that they're losing their home. It's because this is what we signed up to do. This yeah. is, this is the pleasure portion of our brain that is satisfied through good works. And it's hard to explain to people because they can't fathom doing what we do. Yeah. And it's as long hard. as you maintain your professionalism. Yes. Exactly. Have fun. Exactly. Have and fun. That's what I, I really, that, that's how we stay sane in this job for the most part yes. is, is having fun. And a lot of us, we, we do have actually all of us have a dark sense of humor. Very dark. <laughs> yeah. If the, Joe citizen heard some of the stuff that we say around the kitchen table or at uh, a choir for you guys yeah. or church or whatever, um, their jaws would probably just drop. Right. I, but, I agree. Um, it's, it's who we are. It's what we are. It's our, our way of dealing with and uh, alleviating stress and, and pain mm-hmm. and everything. Yes. But um, like I said, the, the main thing I teach my guys have fun, enjoy this job. It's a, um, uh, not just a job, but it, it's a career um, police and fire, we're all, all a family. So look out for each other, just like a, a family and everything. You're going to have your, your bickering and your little infighting and stuff in between, um, each other, but you're also, you're, you're going to have your, your camaraderie and your, your love and your good times and everything, just, just as much as you are with the, the bad times. But at the end of the day, we're, we're all together. Yeah. And uh, I know I could pick up the phone. Um, we just had some storms come through here just a little while ago. And, uh, I know, knock on wood, if something happened to my house, a tree fell on my house or whatever, I could pick up the phone and call and I could have five or six guys here in a half hour with chainsaws. Yeah. Or put a new roof on my mom's house or something like that. It's just the, yeah. the brotherhood and sisterhood that we have in the yeah. um, I, I'm first glad, world. I'm glad you brought that up because um, I get, I'll get flack. I have, you can't see it right now. Um, I have a thin blue line flag on the wall. Um, you've got your thin red line flag over there on the wall. Um, and I try, I, I get the argument that people make like, oh, you're causing a division. Like, like that's a gang. That's all that stuff. So when I try to symbolize what it means to me is exactly what you're just talking about is the thin blue line to me isn't us versus them. It's not any division between us and the people we're out there either serving or protecting, you know, when we take them to jail. Um, For me, it's if I get injured on the job, whether it's tripping and falling down the stairs after the call's done versus chasing a bad guy down, he shoots me and I'm recovering, whatever it is, I I die in the line of duty. Same for FD, whatever it is. Um, A storm hits my house. The thin blue line, the thin red line, whatever you want to call it, to me is when shit goes down, despite what the cause is, 
those guys are going to be there to take care of my wife. They're going to be there to get my kids to school. They're going to be there to mow my lawn. They're going to be there to bring groceries to the house. Well, after the time that's necessary, whether it's if I, let's say I do fall in the line of duty. Oh, shit. <laughs> are you good? Let's say I fall in the line of duty. Those guys are going to, my kids, my, my oldest is 12 years old. She's 12. My other daughter's 10. So those guys that I work with, they're going to take my kids to prom. They're going to take my kids. They're going to walk them down the aisle. And, and I know that. That yeah. is what a thin blue line is to me. That's what that yeah. means. And it's the same for the firefighters. You, you explained it. You know, there's been a, a series of storms. If a tree fell on your house, those guys are going to be there. And so when people get in up, up in arms about that stuff, oh, it's a gang, you guys, it's, it's you versus the us. And, and okay, I'm not saying that that argument doesn't have some sort of small validation because there's been proven things where officers, corrupt officers and stuff, that's happened. But in general, and in, in, to the positive side, and Maybe I'm in the. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But I think I'm very right. Uh, I, I really think it's just about us taking care of each other. It's not going to happen if you work in an office. You're gonna. Let's say you die, and you worked in an office. They're gonna have a lunch for you, in, <laughs> yeah. in your honor. They're gonna check on your wife. They're gonna see if you needed anything for the next couple weeks, maybe a couple months, maybe for. Let's be very optimistic for a year. That's it. That's yeah. all that's going to happen. That is totally different from first first responders. Yeah, un- unfortunately, um, a couple things. Law enforcement, fire department, we've all gotten way too good at doing funerals. Yes. And um, we need to start figuring out, like I said, with the behavior health and everything like that, because we're, we're losing more to suicide, suicide than we are suicide to a lot huge. of duty. And um, we need to stop that. We need to figure that out and fix it. But back to the uh, the thin blue line and, and thin red line and everything, I think it's really sad that, um, and I can't speak for you guys, but it, it seems like in the fire department, we are losing a lot of the tradition and the brotherhood, sisterhood, and camaraderie that once was. Um, I think it's getting harder and harder now, um, with the younger generation and maybe it's just cause I'm getting older and everything. It's hard to, um, associate with some of them or, or relate to, um, I, I do as being a leader in the fire service, I do a lot of research and studying and, and reading, trying to learn how to relate to millennials and, and everything, Yeah, but it, 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 they don't have the same, um, or they express their values differently. And um, if I made that phone call to get people to come over, it would mostly be the, the older guys would be the ones coming over. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, some of the, the younger guys you see nowadays and not all of them, I don't want to characterize everybody. Yeah. Um, but a, a lot of guys, they just want that police badge on their t-shirt or a fire department badge on their t-shirt or Maltese cross and go to the bars and, and drink and tell the girls that, Hey, I'm a firefighter or I'm a cop or, or whatever. They just want that title. Yeah. And uh, when they clock in at the firehouse at zero 700, the next day when they're clocking out to go home, they don't think twice about the, the brothers and sisters that are in that firehouse, relieving them and, 
and everything like that. Yep. And, and that's part of the, um, the culture needs to change. Also that needs to go back to where we were, Yeah. Um, where we had a, a stronger alliance of brotherhood and everything. Yeah. I'm of the opinion that, um, it, it's, it, it's going to do this. It's It's going to yeah. ebb and flow, you know, um, I think, because it's the same in the police world right now. I think it's going to bottom out and then it's going to get to a point where it comes back up. Um, we just haven't hit bottom yet. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I have a lot of faith in, um, the, in humanity, I guess you would say I'm an optimist. I just can't help it. It's just how I am. I'm a eternal optimist. Um, so, and I know it's it's for cops anyway. It's been really shitty. I mean, we're we're if we haven't reached rock bottom, we're damn close. Um, I think it's going to start ticking up in 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 the near future. Um, so you're going to start getting quality recruits again because right now nobody wants to be a cop. Yeah, nobody wants to be a first responder, but um, they definitely don't want to be a cop. Uh, so. I think that's going to start coming up because, you know, with the whole defund the police movement and all that stuff and that being shown to be obviously a dumbass thing to do. Um, if, if you don't agree with me, I'll argue with you. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll come on the show. I'll argue with you on the show. I don't care. Uh, we'll talk about it. Um, but I, I think it, it, with what you're saying, the tradition, um, there's been the, it's the whole PC movement, which don't get me wrong. It has some merit. There's some things that definitely need to be phased out, especially the LBG, LBGQT. I can't keep up with all the numbers and letters, but you know what I mean. Um, like I didn't, whatever. Yeah, I live and let live. I don't. You do whatever you want to do in your private time. I'm not going to judge you. I, I, I'm all about that. But I think a lot of that in our tip, our, our career fields like that. Well, there was a stigma to that and, and all that stuff. So I think we've moved past that, but the PC movement of that has, has put a damper on a lot of the tradition. And I think we're going to figure out new ways to create, to, to equal old traditions. Does that make sense? I think, yeah. I think we're yeah. going to figure out new ways to, 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 to bring back the old traditions and yeah. because they had a purpose, the purpose was just to create brotherhood or sisterhood, whatever you yeah. want to call it. All and, inclusive. All inclusive. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and by the way, if you have a female firefighter that you can recommend, I have been trying like hell, not only to get a firefighter, but a female firefighter. I would okay. really like to get one. So if you got any recommendations, sir, I would really like to get a female firefighter. I'll get you one. That is a hard, uh, I, I thought getting female officers actually pretty easy for me. I can get female officers all day long. I have yet to find a female fire. I know they're out there. Um, I just haven't got one to come on the show. No problem. Yeah. And I've really been trying to get some, um, European cops, uh, because I, I'm trying to do this like series. I want to do a New York City patrol officer that's done the job five years or more. I want to get a Chicago um, police officer that's done the job five in a LAPD. I want to kind of hit all the other major cities around me, yeah. uh, you know, that people look to. And it's the same with the firefighter world. You think of firefighters, you want to you want to talk to you know, you know the ladder, whatever they call it, the ladder yeah, thirty five. Yes, and uh, stuff like that. So I really want to get a female firefighter because 
you want to talk about going through some shit. Yeah. That I I think females have really proven themselves in the police world over the and history. The same, same in the fire world too. But in the fire world, that's a that's a different that's a physical standard that police don't have to deal with. And may there's cops out there that may want to argue that, but a firefighter has a lot more physical requirements. You guys have not, how much does your suit weigh in itself? Probably everything. Uh, shit. Everything's changing now getting lightweight or whatever. Probably about 70 pounds when we have all our stuff. On. Okay. And for a cop, uh, a fair weight, uh, average weight, 35 35 pounds. And our vests have got, I just got a new vest like two days ago. Um, you're supposed to replace them every five years. I was <laughs> lazy and my vest is 11 years old. So uh, it was, it was time to replace it. And I'm glad I waited so long because this new vest I got is incredibly light. Like I can't believe it. Um, I'm putting it on. I'm like, holy shit. I, is this going to stop a bullet? <laughs> so, but they're really light. So the technology is really caught up. So for firefighters, you know, we're talking today's time, 70 pounds. So you That's double. with a tool and every carrying a tool. Right. And yeah. So you're like doubling the weight. And we haven't even talked about picking up a hose or dragging a body out or any of that. You know, um, typically when we do a dummy drag, it's a 200 pound dummy, I think maybe 150, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, and they, they have, we put a firefighter uniform on them to simulate, you know, the friction of a clothes. So that is some serious weight, <laughs> you know, that's some serious yeah. weight. And for females wanting to get into the career field, I want them to hear from another female that does a job like you can do this fucking job. And not only can you do it, you can do it really well, but I also want them to know all the hazing and, and stuff that they had to go through and, yeah. and the purpose behind it, because I guarantee like just like any of the female officers I've ever worked with, like they will tell you like, this is part of the becoming the family. They don't, they're not giving me a hard time because I'm a female. They're giving me a hard time because that is the tradition. Yeah. It's just, they're altering it because I am a female. They're, they're giving, they're, they're altering it. They're, they're specifying it for me and who I am. Just like if you were to join my PD right now, I would give you so much shit just because <laughs> your age, where you worked, you're a firefighter, all, all the, all the above. Oh, yeah. I would give you as much shit as I could. And I, I'm just, it has nothing to do with your sex. It has yeah. nothing to do with that. It's not, it's, it has nothing to do with hate. It's all about trust and trust yeah. building and, and, in a, in a career field that my life's going to be in your hands. Yep. Inevitably it's going to be in your hands. And, um, I, I've had more times than I can count where my life was saved before anything, before anybody on the outside looking in could have ever seen that my life was in danger. They squashed it before it became an issue. And it's the same in the firefighter world that, yeah. you know, oh, my buddy just moved the ladder over a foot while I was inside because he saw something coming that I didn't see. And when I was coming out, like it was in the perfect spot, whatever it is, had he not done that, my life would have been in danger. Had he, um, you know, not turned the hose on when he did. I, I don't know. I'm talking out of my yeah. ass cause I'm not a firefighter, but <laughs> I did get to live out of fantasy though. So I want to share this with you as a firefighter. <laughs> there was a homeless camp that was on fire 
and uh, we saw this black smoke billowing in the in the forest <laughs> next to the road. So pull over. Um, I had I didn't know it at the time, but FD had already been called, and uh, I get in there, and I'm thinking uh, electrical fire. I thought maybe like the tree had caused some sort of fire. So I get in there and basically it was a homeless camp that got out of control. And there's a mattress in there and I'm looking in the, the flames and the smoke were so bad. I couldn't tell if there was somebody on that mattress. I was kind of getting concerned. It's like, Oh shit. Well, FD, like as soon as we're like assessing, they get in there and I, I finally, this, the fire got to the point where I could really see in there. The smoke cleared out like that black, dark black smoke cleared out. And I, I was confident that there was nobody in there. So um, FD gets in there, and they're pulling up, and I was like, hey, uh, would there be any objection to me, like, putting this fire out? <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, you want to put the fire out? I was like, yeah, I really do. I really want to try. And in my head, I'm going to get the big hose, the house hose. I don't know what to call it. These assholes pull out what I consider a garden hose a from this, yeah, from this big ass engine, and I'm like, "What the hell is this? It's tiny." I mean, I was like, "I did this like there's nothing to it." Like, <laughs> I was like, "Is this the hose you would have put it out with?" And they're like, "Yeah, this is the hose we would have used." I was like, "You guys are cheating me right now." I wanted to use the big <laughs> hose. They're like, "They, they all made you ain't ready for that hose yet." And I was like. <laughs> fuckers <laughs> it was great so yeah uh it you see me like i get there and i, I take a selfie with the fire because i was confident there's nobody there and uh i'm like and then fd gets there and i take a like a selfie with the fire because i knew the whole time i was like i'm putting this fire out i'm gonna ask them and they're gonna let me and they got that little hose out and i'm like i'm not taking a picture with that hose and of course, my partner that was with me took a picture of me putting. He's like, every little, every little inner officer's fantasy is putting out a fire to BFD. I'm like, you bastard. <laughs> so it was a good, it was fun. The FD guys had fun with me. They probably went back to the house and was like, this cop was trying to be like us, boys. I told you. Nah, we like that shit, man. It was great. Good stuff. Yeah, they were great about it. But um, well, sir, we're at the two hour mark, right on the dot. Um, is there anything else that you want to bring attention to? Uh, not right now. We got to save a little bit to come back next time. Yes, absolutely. I like his spirit because I tell all my guests, I'm like, man, I, I haven't had a bad guest yet. And I'm always like, let's come back. Let's go to it. Um, the, the, the guy that I was telling you about before you, Jake Bigelow, um, his department, um, was kind of volunteering him that he needs to go to a PTS uh, um, retreat type thing, go go be evaluated and stuff. So they're actually sending him here to Texas from Iowa, Iowa. Wyoming, Wyoming. Um, and uh, so I'm hoping to link up with him, but I want to do a follow-up with him because he's uh, part of his podcast. He was saying, you know, I would recommend it for everybody else. He's like, but I have a hard time being a self-assessment guy. And he didn't think he needed to go. So he's like, but I'm trusting my chain of command that know me and seeing where this leads. So like he's of the opinion right now that he doesn't need to go, even though he's been in two shootings Um, and he's very cynical, but he's going to go anyway. And, um, 
trust in them. So I'm very, I want to do a follow-up. I want to see after that week of treatment, like where's his mind at after that? I think that would be very crucial. Um, So yeah, definitely with you, I want to do a follow-up. I really honor a follow-up and just, just to give people that listen to this episode and want to like, all right, I really want to find out what happens. I would really like the next time we talk um, without mentioning names, unless they give you permission, I want to hear how you've helped some of these people with your speeches. Oh yeah, definitely. What it's done. You know what I mean? Um, I had an episode um, and this is where I really started to focus on the PTSD stuff. I had an episode with a sergeant that I work with who was involved in a shooting back when he was an officer. So, quite a big period of time in between he thought he was past it he's telling me the story and he legitimately it's has thirty-seven p.m. <laughs> siri <laughs> uh that happens quite a bit um he has and uh, while he's telling his story his officer involved shooting story it all comes back comes flooding back and uh he has his ptsd moment on the show and it was very surreal and I'm glad he agreed to release it because I kept telling him like, Hey man, I really think you're going to help people. Well, yeah. I ended up getting messages and I, and I use these two areas because I want to show the distance that I got feedback from. I had an officer from the state of Washington an officer from Washington, DC. Um, the one from Washington said, you know, I want to thank you for the episode with Sergeant Bruce Anderson. Um, I've been on the fence about getting on medication for quite some time. Um, and because of this episode, I, I am a hundred percent confident that I'm going, I'm going to go ahead and get on board and use medications because it's okay. And, and, and that's what Bruce was trying to say was like, guys, I didn't think I needed help. I did. This is what happened. I got on medication. I'm okay. He's like, I'm still on medication right now. And guess what? It's okay. So I love that. And then the, he wasn't an officer. He was some sort of um, upper command, but he said he showed it in a roll call. He's like, I showed some clips. He's like, he clipped some from my YouTube and uh, played it for his guys. And so I went across the nation with a discussion about PTSD and the effects that it had and how it helped and, that it's okay, and I help people from across the nation. I, I didn't help them. Bruce helped them. So I'm just a facilitator. So for me, that drove me. I mean, you want to talk about motivation to do this show? That, whatever little things I had holding me back, now I didn't give a shit. I'm like, yeah. damn. So I guarantee with your episode already, you're going to help. I guarantee you're going to help at least one and two. I think just it being firefighters in, in general, we're, we're going to help a lot of people. Well, let me, let me leave it with this. You always want to leave them wanting more. Yeah. Buddy. So um, I sent you that message earlier today about an event. I've been struggling every day with PTSD can be a struggle. You don't know what's going to trigger you here and there. Um, I've been dealing with, with my mental health a lot this past month with a lot of issues. We had an anniversary of a, a bad call and um, I can get into it a lot more with you down the road, but there's actually a, uh, a program 
that I'm getting into, I'm going to be going uh, May 31st to June 5th out in Ohio. It's Save a Warrior. Oh, okay. And they, they work with veterans and first responders with PTSD. They do a uh, holistic approach. So I, I would love to sit down and, and talk to you about that program, my experience with it once I, I get back. Okay. And hopefully at that point, I'll be able or, uh, and willing to open up more okay. about my uh, mental health struggles that I've had as of late. Okay. So I, I'll ask you a, a favor. Or you don't have to. This doesn't have to be a thing. But um, when you get back, while you're out there, see if um, somebody, a part of that program, would be willing to come on with you. And how we have it set up here with the two screens, I can have three. And okay. we can have somebody, a part of that program, explain it and we can all bounce off each other while that's going on. Um, I, I've yet, I've never done that before it, but it is a part of this program that I used to do the, the remotes and I would love to be able to one, bring attention to what you've gone through and how you've, if that program helped you or not. And then two, have that person come on and at least be able to, from their perspective, explain the process from their view. And, and why they got into what they've done and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So yeah, definitely, bro. Yeah, that would be, that would be very cool. I'd appreciate that a lot, but yeah, man, that's cool. I'm glad that'd be awesome to look forward to, but cool. well, thank you, brother. I appreciate you, you being out here and, and definitely, the, man. I appreciate you having me. Hey, anytime, man. Um, like I said, yeah, if you can, uh, if you can somehow hook me up with a female firefighter or all that stuff later on and all that stuff, yep. but um, man, this was, dude, this is going to be a good episode. This is going to be one of my top ones. I promise. Cool. I, I can, I always get a vibe and a feeling about how my shows are going to be. And, uh, just like with Bruce. Um, and then I had another one, Aaron Dyson. He was, uh, he's a guy that he committed a serious crime, but he was also wrongly convicted. And, um, his episode, I, I just knew was going to be a killer and uh it sure enough it was and i have a feeling that your episode is going to be above average um especially if you can share this with some firefighter side so um yeah yeah we'll get this out there but man i thank you so much man very humbled that you uh, took the time to uh share your story because it's 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 a it's a healing process yeah i appreciate you giving me the uh, platform man it was Hopefully you and I have this lasting relationship now and Hell yeah. uh, keep in touch and everything. Yeah. you're. Yeah. I'll get you the female firefighter and then I'll get up with you um, in June when I get back from save a warrior. Okay. So it's in and, June. Uh, yeah. It's May 31st to June 5th. So the first part okay. of June. Um, but hopefully uh, I get good results with that and um, we come on there and talk all about it. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate it. And let me end this recording. All right. Be safe. Be safe.